You're listening to the B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. The show is brought to you by Conversa, a podcasting agency that helps B2B brands start podcasts to connect with prospects, grow brand awareness, and create better content. Now, my guest today is Crystal Copez. Crystal is CEO of RevMade. RevMade is a company that helps businesses turn content into assets that drive revenue. Crystal, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. You are quite welcome. So what we're going to talk about today is building an editorial franchise. And I'm putting that in scare quotes. Those watching this can see that, but those listening, I had to say it out loud so you'd know. Because I just want to start with what that means. <laughs> yeah, great question. So let me give you a little bit of background on myself first, and then I think it'll it'll make more sense. So okay. I spent the first decade of my career in media, working for digital media companies like Atlantic Media that produces the Atlantic courts. And <clears throat> through that process, worked with several kind of B2B entities under their umbrella, launching new products and launching new brands. When I started my company seven years ago, about seven years ago, what I wanted to do was bring that media ethos of being able to really earn attention from organically from audiences and build a deeper relationship with them to all the brands, associations, and other types of companies that were pursuing content marketing. So when I think about an editorial franchise, and I think it's a great question to start off, we talk about this a lot. To me, it transcends content marketing because it is essentially an information product that really has the audience in mind. So it really is something that could stand on its own without the company that was producing it or promoting it to serve their target audience in a way that makes sense to them and adds something to their lives. And importantly, it's also something that feels like you know, in, in addition to being able to stand on its own, it has legs, right? So it may start off as a newsletter with a unique concept, but you could easily see how that can translate into a podcast. Maybe one day it becomes an event. And then before you know it, it's a media empire. That's really what we like to think about when we think about editorial franchises. Okay, got it. Thanks for that. So now you have a blog post on your guys' website that that speaks directly to this concept of creating an editorial franchise. Mm -hmm. And I just I want to read a quote from it and then ask you to expand on that. So <clears throat> in the blog post, you write, and now I'm quoting, Edito editorial programs are assets that can develop into sub-brands that drive actual business value. Now, I suspect that you, you, you kind of touched on that at what you just said, but I'd like to explore that further, just what, what you mean by that. Yeah, it's a great question. So I think the ultimate goal to me of any organization that wants to do content marketing is to earn attention from an audience that is high quality attention, right? Something that you could actually use to draw in buyers, prove to them that you're trustworthy, prove to them that you know either your product or service should be purchased, and then essentially move them down the funnel effectively and efficiently. And so when I when I think about, you know, all the different ways that a content franchise can drive value. Number one, the most obvious is, you know, it can be a magnet for potential buyers who are looking to have a problem solved. And all of a sudden you're in the channels where they're trying to solve their problem. And obviously it's a, it's a connection point. It can also help to prove to them that you know what you're talking about, that you can build, you know, you have the expertise in this space that can eventually lead to a faster sale because you've, you've built that trust. But I think what's also interesting is that we're seeing some companies now even move beyond that, right, where they've mastered that, but they've also found themselves because they've 
they've met their audience where they are so much and they have this engaged audience, they're actually able to go beyond that in terms of monetization opportunities. And so, yes, they have this content marketing. Yes, it is, you know, they've proven that it's building their business, but they may also be able to leverage that for, for example, for partner revenue, right? And now they're growing their marketing budget and they're growing their footprint based on this distribution channel or multiple distribution channels that's bringing value in, in more than one way. Or some of these companies may also just find that they're a fully fledged media entity that's able to sell advertising. And now all of a sudden their CFO is looking at their biggest asset saying, wow, this is something that's actually a profit center for us versus mm. something that's losing money. And so it's, it's an interesting way when you think about like maturing content marketing to me, if you can always think about the, the end game being more about serving the audience alongside of reaching your brand goals and really putting the audience first, it really leaves you more optionality down the road to thinking mm. about how you monetize it effectively. Okay. So let's say, you know, you go to the typical B2B company website and <clears throat> it'll have a resources tab or insights, right? You go there, it'll have a blog, videos, ebooks, case studies, right? A whole list of things. Is that an editorial franchise or, or is that kind of, you could turn that into, you could turn something like that into an editorial franchise. Like what's the difference? Yeah, it's a great question. My answer is it could be, but it has to, it depends on the, the framing of how the content's created, the genesis of it and who it's meant for. So a lot of the companies that we start working with they may have an amazing library of assets that they've built over several years that has a lot of great information, but it's just not really connecting with their target buyer, or it's talking more about things they want to talk about versus the pain points that they're actually seeing in their in their actual audience or their, their prospects. And so what I would say is some of the kind of hallmarks of a, of a franchise to me are, one, it has a reason for being, right, a lens that is unique from everyone else in the market and really unique from anything else that those buyers are getting elsewhere. So one of the things that we do in our process is we kind of look at three things to formulate our strategies. The first is just really understanding the audience and where they are in that moment, what their pain points are, what they're struggling with, how they're talking about what they're struggling with, where they're going for information, what media sources they're using. Like we want to know, I want to know like a full profile professional, personal, I want to know what makes you tick and what makes you act, right? Kind of like what every, but every marketer wants to know, but really in the context of what are they consuming from a media perspective and mm -hmm. what, what, where's the gap in what they don't have? Then I want to look at your competition and figure out like, is anybody actually meeting this audience where they are or showing any kind of, you know, positive traction when it comes to earning attention from this audience and earning loyalty from this audience? Like at the end of the day, my bar is... I want you to wake up in the morning and if you don't have my content, you miss it. Like you feel like you, you are missing something in your professional flow, right? And then finally, the third piece of this kind of like, you know, big Venn diagram is what your brand ultimately stands for in the minds of your customers so that whatever you produce feels authentic to who you are. And we've done this now for seven years. Always there is an intersection on all three of those things. There's, you know, everyone thinks like, oh, there's so much content out there now. You know, audiences are overserved. The truth is they're overserved with crap, but they're not overserved in particular in B2B with, with content that helps them navigate these increasingly complex work environments, buying environments that they are interacting with. 
And so there's always opportunity to do it better. And when you put all those three, three things together, you finally feel you know, confidence that what you're going to do is actually going to matter not only to your brand, but to the people who ultimately matter the most, which are the people, the buyers that you want to earn the attention of. And make no mistake, it's it's an intense competition out there for that attention. Yeah. So so this is a matter of a matter of framing your content and delivering it kind of in a particular right, way, right? Like through your point of view, and at the same time, creating better content that's not crap, as you said, right? So like w- yeah. when you say that a lot of content is crap, and I think that's a widely held view, what do you mean? Like what is crap content in your view? In my mind, it's content <clears throat> that is only serving the producer of that content and not thinking about the audience that should be interacting with that content, right? And so I don't want to just create something that's been created before that doesn't really have a need. You know, and I used to work in all these, you know, different kinds of content environments. And the truth is, is like you, you have to always keep your audience as your anchor and really think about what somebody's going to do with this content once they get it. Right. So that's kind of like the first piece is like understanding what your audience wants and understanding how your brand delivers something, having that like lens. That's what we kind of think about it. Like everything has to flow through that lens. And then what you should be doing is producing content that is repeatable. And by repeatable, I mean something that is like signature to you, right? Like you do a podcast, Mm -hmm. you have a pretty similar format. Every time you do the podcast, you, you, your audience has grown to expect something from you. And when they like it and expect something from you, that's why, that's how you're on your way to a franchise, right? It's something that's repeatable. And you see like media companies doing this really effectively, right? Like you kind of see how the New York Times has built like franchises that they've written about that then all of a sudden become like Netflix series, right? Like they're mm-hmm. kind of growing their impact because they have this un- unique lens on <clears throat> something that then builds and builds and builds. And then it becomes like a cultural phenomenon. Everybody in every Mm -hmm. space can do that. It's just a matter of, again, finding the right formula for how you engage your audience with the content they need. Yeah. Okay. I think the New York Times is an interesting example. I mean, they've done all kinds of stuff like that. Another example from the New York Times is their daily podcast called The Daily, right? And I think that's, you know, and, and you were talking about content that people just kind of get used to consuming as part of their daily flow. I'm sure that's part of the strategy there for any daily podcast, right? Or just any podcast, but especially a daily podcast. It works if you can get enough people to like, oh, yep, first thing in the morning, I pop on the daily just to get my news and then I, you know, move on with my day, right? So what what could that look like, say, for a B2B brand? Because yeah. it sounds like a great I- idea. Like if you could create content or like, a, you know, an entity – a content franchise, as you put it, that people are just like, I need to go check that first thing in the morning because it tells me what I need to know in order to, you know, be informed throughout my day. I mean, who wouldn't want that? You know, it, it strike it, it seems like the kind of thing that, well, what am I asking? I guess just like, how do you do that? How do you go from, we have a blog and a bunch of videos to, you know, creating a website where you just have people that have to go there every day because it's part of what the, you know, you know what I mean? Like, how do you do do that? And I want to say too, like the New York times is a helpful example because lots of people interact with it, but it's not, it's not 
reasonable to think that any B2B company or B2C company, honestly, is going to produce that type of operation or that they should do news, right? Like that's a, that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah. But I think the idea that you are producing something that has an, that has an audience application and you're doing it over time and you are distributing it directly to that audience over time to teach them what they can expect to get from you that is something of high value, then the opportunities are like kind of endless, right? And so we just put together a strategy recently where we were looking at like, you know, what is what is an executive need? You know, if you're trying to get to an executive audience and they're inundated with content and like, you know, they already have their preferred media and there's a ton of people trying to get at them, what are you going to do? And, and ultimately, like one of the things we stumbled upon was like, well, one of the needs here is that they have to do like a lot of decks to update people on like market conditions, right? Or they Mm -hmm. need to do decks based on how they're going to run a transformation. Or they need to do decks if they're, you know, more on the C-suite level, explaining to their CFO what they're trying to do. And so if you're the type of company that can produce kind of a framework for them or a sample deck for them and create a library Mm -hmm. of that, you don't even, I mean, you don't have to do that every day, but maybe once a month or once a quarter, you're putting something out there that's so high value to their workflow that it is mm. actually changing their mind about your usefulness, right? And so that's really what I'm talking about. It doesn't have to be every day. It doesn't have to be something that is like news oriented, that requires a huge team. It could be something that you're already doing, but it just, it has to be useful to the audience at the end of the day, something you're releasing that's different and useful to their workflow. Yeah. And the only way you get at that is by understanding, like really, really understanding their pain points. Right, right. Like, well, and the example you just gave is a good one. A CEO needs to be doing all these presentations, right? So, and the more of those kinds of details that you know, then the better chance you're going to have. Yep, that's right. So, and that kind of content that you're describing seems like it's very... The 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 key of that is that it's very useful. It's like directly applicable, right? Yeah. Yeah. What about in terms of more like thought leadership type content? Because you know every brand is producing a ton of that stuff, mm-hmm. and typically it's not meant to be so much like how to or here's a tool you can use. It's more we have deep thoughts, you know. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. how does what what about say a few words about that and how you can package or build thought leadership that's going to also be like so useful that people just need to consume it? Yeah, it's such a great question. And I think, first of all, we have seen like amazing results from just in terms of conversion, when you put experts out there talking instead of just putting content that is even like not including experts, right? Just something that comes from like something more base level, like something that you would get on like a regular website that's, you know, not really quoting experts or not really bringing a differentiated expert opinion. The expert content is converting, like with one of our projects, we just ran this analysis, it's converting like 50% higher than the stuff that isn't including experts. So I really think thought leadership is like powerful and underutilized. But I think one of the problems with thought leadership right now is that it tends to be uh, long-winded And it can be like locked into formats where people don't have the time to experience it. And so what I tell people is like, similarly to how we're on this podcast right now, like somebody, you know, we've been talking for 15 minutes, somebody may not actually have the time to get to 15 minutes in, but I may say something, or you may say something that could be really valuable to them at like minute 17. And so how do we break that out and almost deconstruct all the media that we're doing? And so that's like what I'm talking a lot about with people now is like, have the, have the interview, have the meeting like this, the meeting of the minds, get the insights and then break that out into like, 
you know, frameworks that we talked about in this call, audio clips, quotes, you know, any kind of unique like takeaways, and then kind of start to filter that out across all of your channels. Like mm-hmm. that to me, again, like mm-hmm. this is more low hanging fruit and every company is a little bit different. Every space is a little bit different, but like, that's one of the things that I see generally across a lot of spaces that to me feels like an easy one. Like, can we be more brief? Can we be more visual? That seems mm-hmm. to be, again, like something from a thought leadership perspective that I think a little bit open space right now. Yeah, for sure. And and really, that's not that hard to do. You know, like for this very podcast, I do that. I do exactly that. You know, I'll, I'll take the video and break it up into micro videos and, you know, parcel out the information that way. So creating chunks of the content is certainly a good idea. And I think you also said before, you know, infusing your thought leadership with expert opinion and thinking, you know, drawing on your subject matter experts to to give it some credibility also yeah. seems like a pretty important move. Like I think it is. And I think if, if, if you're sitting, you know, at a company right now trying to think about how I can make my content better in incremental ways, like it doesn't have to be, you know, this large vision for a dream force, you know, event in the future that becomes its own franchise, a great example of a franchise from Salesforce. It can be, I need better ways to get my sales team communicating back pain points. I need to figure out a way that I can respond to those pain points so that they actually use the content, right? Like you can break it down into chunks. I need to find a way to operate so that I am actually producing more of the type of content that people are interacting with in a unique way so that I'm not just like in the jumble of my competition. It doesn't necessarily have to be this like huge strategy that you're putting together. It can be almost, you know, inching toward what I think the learnings of what the best companies do, which is stay close to your audience, understand your audience all the time, be nimble enough to respond to their needs and do so in a way that leverages your experts and is high, like high utility. Again, like I'm big on utility and B2B because I just don't think people have the time, right? Like they want something, they're, they're engaging with you because they get something out of it that they can take back. And so that's, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's an expert opinion, something that they can apply. Okay. So, so let's assume for a second that these ideas are, you know, going to take hold. I, th- I think they will because I just hear a lot of people talking about these sort of things. So if we can project out five years from now, maybe let's say 10 years, just to give it enough time, when I click on the resources tab on a website, what do you think I'll see 10 years from now compared to what we're, what I see now? Yeah. So it's a great question. I mean, my counter question to you would be, wouldn't the res- whatever's in the resources tab be the reason that you got to that site in the first place, right? Like I don't mm-hmm. envision a world where... We're like, I know this brand and maybe, maybe like, right, there's always going to be brands, but like my, my dream is I've interacted with this content because I saw it in the channels that, that I'm in, my community is sharing it and it's something that's like really interesting and useful to me. So then I click further into it and then eventually like, as I'm interacting with it, I'm interested also in the company that produces it and what they might be able to do for me. So like, Mm -hmm. I, I think like where content is going is almost like the front door, right? And you, it's an entree to what you can provide versus a, like I'm already on the brand and now I'm like kind of checking out what this brand has in terms of the resources tab. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, that isn't that how it kind of works now already, right? Ideally, I mean, yes. Ideally, yes. But 
there's yeah. also a lot of trouble with distribution. Right. There's a okay. lot of challenges with distribution. So I find that sometimes, yes, it goes on the resources tab, never to be seen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Which obviously doesn't make any sense. If you're just spending all this time writing a blog post and you publish it and then you're like, well, I hope people find it. You know, I hope people somehow come to our website and then click on it and read it. Obviously, you, that will not happen. Right. That will not so, happen. Yeah. So, so I guess then maybe what we're really talking about is the methods of distribution will change or they'll be, will become smarter and, and more precise about getting the word out and just getting the content in front of people. The, the methods are already changing, right? They're always changing. Google changes its algorithm. Chat GPT yeah. comes, comes out and now Bing is integrating into its search engine. What does that mean for the future of search? You know, what does it mean that TikTok's taking share away from Instagram? You know, the, the distribution is always going to change. For me, the key is that throughout the distribution, if your reason for being and you and is clear and you're delivering value in a way that you know you have that connection with your audience, then the channel is just a, a means of finding more buyers in those audiences to bring into your orbit. And so I, I think one of the key things, and this is like Joe, you know, Joe Polizzi always says is like, don't build on rented land, right? Like you always have to have your own reason for being your own content franchise that is ingesting data, ingesting interest and turning it into sales. And then you use all these distribution channels as a means to attract and engage that new and existing audience. Yeah, hundred percent. Wow. Well, I have so many more like questions or tangents we could go down, but we'll have to save that for part two, you know, another episode. So just for right now, Crystal, for people that, you know, want to connect with you and continue this conversation, what is the best way to connect with you? Yeah. So my, my email is k at revmade.com. Please don't hesitate to reach out. And you can LinkedIn with me or sign up for our newsletter at revmade.com slash subscribe. Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much. So we'll put a link to your LinkedIn too in our show notes and a Wonderful. link to RevMade. So listeners, watchers, definitely check it out. Meanwhile, Crystal, thank you so much. This was really fascinating, really, really sparked a lot of food for thought. Thanks, Jeremy. This was fun. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-Versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.